It's Iron Sports on the True Oldies Channel 751. I'm Mike Balsamo. It's time to bring on George Howe Colt. He's the author of the game, Harvard versus Yale in 1968. George, thank you so much for joining us here. Oh, it's my pleasure. Ira, what do you have for George? George, your book is tremendous. Um, I absolutely loved it. I'm telling you, oh, it, was, you. it was it was it is one of the best books. I it's like you're writing and I knew that I, I watch, follow sports all the time, so I knew what the outcome of the game was. But as I'm reading the book about the uh, Harvard-Yale game in 1968, I almost thought there was going to be a different outcome. That's how well you presented it. And I just thought it was, it was absolutely uh, tremendous. And for anyone knows, it's one of the greatest games ever played in 1968 between Harvard and Yale. Um, talk about the rivalry a little between Harvard and Yale, the fact that they weren't the first two teams to play. They Princeton and Rutgers were, but, but over the years, how it really defined what football became. Well, yeah, uh, uh, as, you, as you mentioned, Princeton, Princeton, and, Princeton and Rutgers got there five years earlier, and Harvard and Yale have always uh, suffered a little bit by being the second, uh, sort of second string to that. But really, for the next about 40 years, uh, which would take you through uh, the year 1900 and into the 1920s, Harvard and Yale dominated uh, the national football scene, both on the field and also off. They sort of invented the game, uh, the college game, as we know it today. Uh, Walter Camp, of course, uh, was a Yale man, and uh, uh, he, w- he invented a lot of the rules. Harvard also uh, uh, kicked in um, some rule changes as well. But the, the, those two schools... They dominated uh, the the talk uh, of college football uh, until about 1920, and then other teams began to come unstrung: Michigan, Army, Navy, etc. And of course, um, Harvard and Yale began to fade. Uh, but the Harvard-Yale game would retain its kind of status as a as a great national social event right up through the 60s. I would say. Yeah, I love your quote from the book where one of the Yale coaches said in 1916 says, you will never do anything more important, right before the Harvard game, he says, you will never do anything more important than, than your, in, in your life than playing this game against Harvard. <laughs> of course, they were going, you know, yes. these are players that were probably going to go fight in World War One and do all those other things. So it was, exactly. it was definitely and, and that. And of course, even after they came home from World War One, who knows, maybe they still felt that the Harvard-Yale game was the most important thing. It was, it was huge in those days. And what I liked about the book, the character development, I mean, you spent, what was great, what I liked about the book is that you spent like 150, 200 pages, uh, about pages of the book, talking about all these different players who played in the game. And, and, and it's like a play, like getting to, to really get vested in them. And then you laid out the game the right way. I mean, you're not really a true sports writer. It was, it was, it was, almost, it was, a, it was like watching a movie. It, it was almost like it wasn't even true how you're writing this. But it was also that game in 1968 was, Everything was happening. You have the war movement and the anti-war movement. The uh, women, the with the Vietnam War, the, the fact that Yale didn't have any w- women admitted, and then suddenly people, women were saying we d- demanded, and then a year later, 500 women were admitted to Yale. The issue of race relations. You have all that going on throughout Harvard in terms of the Harvard player who who fell out of Harvard and went to the Vietnam War, was fighting the Vietnam War, and then came back on that team, and uh, and then the fact that Harvard's their best player, uh, Tyson, stopped playing football. To, to do work with the race relations and, and handle that, even though the Dallas Cowboys wanted him to be on his team. So there was, it was the, everything that was going around in 1968 added importance to that game. And that's really why I wrote the book. I was at the game. I was 14 years old in 1968, and it really was an extraordinarily 
thrilling game. And, of course, Harvard and Yale had both come into the game undefeated. They were both nationally ranked. Yale was ranked ahead of Nebraska and, uh, and Alabama uh, during that year. And so for, so they were, you know, good football teams then. But I was, if it had happened in 1958 or 1978, I wouldn't have written the book because what I was interested in were how those players navigated that incredibly tumultuous year. You know, what did they do about the draft? How did they keep their mind on football? Did they keep their mind on football? Who did they vote for, Nixon or Humphrey? Who did they prefer, Malcolm X or Martin Luther King? I mean, that... I assume you were alive then, maybe not, but they, that was such an amazing watershed year, and I just wanted to know how these 18, 19, 20, 21-year-old football players who played in this extraordinary game, how they dealt with that time, how they'd gone through that year. Well, and I also like the fact of unification in terms of what I love about sports is that it brings together a lot of people with different views. And we were, we were going to talk about the national today on the show about how a town that is split between Republicans and Democrats, Trump and anti-Trump, the fact that the nationals, you bring everybody together. And it's almost that when you talk about the book between Yale and Harvard, that everybody sort of had their issues with different things, whether you were, as I said, the people that were fighting in Vietnam and the people that were pro uh, Nixon and then, and then the anti-war people. But it, but it, it galvanized in terms of everyone was for their team, the Harvard and Yale team, each of them. And I think that was something of the power of sports, whereas we can actually come together as one, like nothing more than just like fighting, you know, in a country, but at least we're not fighting a battle. We're just fighting sports and enjoying competition from, from that. And I think that's what was neat about your book and how you, how you layered that. And, and, and writing, people think about Harvard and Yale and think about these elite uh, uh, people that comes from elite backgrounds, and you mentioned how these players were not. I mean, the, the, the second-string quarterback from Harvard, who was the star of the game, came from a town right next to Cambridge, but, but grew up very poor and, and went there and became a star. And it, all the different people from the, the players were from different backgrounds. Yes, and it was, an, um, and that's what made the, the the fact that it was a tie so sort of deliciously uh, ironic. Uh, because here in the midst of this polarized time with all these different types of people, um, they they came together to, uh, they didn't intend to, but they created this kind of a moment of, I came to think of it as kind of like a miraculous truce in the middle of the year, of a year that was so polarized. And of course, as you say, um, both on the teams, uh, on the Harvard team, for instance, there was that player who'd come back from uh, from Vietnam. He served nine months leading a platoon in combat in Vietnam and was very pro-war. And he came back and played on the same team as two guys who were members of Students for Democratic Society, radical anti-war group. But as they all told me, once they got to the field, all of those differences were totally forgotten and they joined together. And that was also true, of course, for their fans. These campuses that were so divided um, among students and, of course, between students and administrators and alumni, um, they would all go out on Saturday afternoon and watch these two marvelous football teams play. And, you know, these hippies, anti-war hippies, would be getting along with these very conservative Republican alumni, and they'd all be rooting for their, for their team. So it really did bring together people. And, and I think, you know, as you point out, I think it still does. But I thought it was so wonderful that the Nationals won the World Series this year. Yeah, and then you mentioned, I mean, the one thing about the game, and I go to a ton of sporting events, it's just at the Bill Steelers game, I've been to 50 World Series games, 50 NBA Finals games, Super Bowls, but when you describe this game, I wanted to be there at it. Like, it would have been, like, you, were, you wrote how, like, it, Harvard was not supposed to be undefeated, but they happened to be undefeated. Yale was supposed to be great, and with this guy, Brian Dowling, who, who turned down USC, and they took 
O.J. Simpson instead, and, and Calvin Hill, who we know is Grant Hill's father, but who went on to be a star for the Cowboys. And so they, 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 you come to this game as a $300 ticket, um, all that excitement for that game. It'd be so, it would just would have been amazing to have you. And you, I'm feel, you're, I feel uh, whatever jealous that you were actually witnessed that game. Well, I feel very lucky that I was there, um, and it's it's a game that I will, remembered for a long time, and certainly um, will never forget. And of course, so many people, Harvard fans, five thousand Harvard fans left the game early because Yale got so far ahead. The Harvard fans essentially gave up, and then of course they weren't there to see Harvard score sixteen points in forty-two seconds to tie the game, and of course inspire the famous headline in the Harvard Crimson uh, that captured the emotional sort of tenor of the game, which was Harvard beats Yale 29-29. And of course, um, Calvin Hill, now that you mention him, he didn't really, he was so, uh, he thought that Yale had actually lost. And it wasn't until the following Monday when he read the Yale Daily News, the student newspaper that talked about the 29-29 tie, that he realized that Yale and Harvard had in fact tied. He thought Yale had lost because the Yale team and the Yale fans were so despondent. The Harvard team and the Harvard fans were absolutely overjoyed. Um, it was as if the one one sports writer wrote that the Harvard fans. It was as if the war had ended. Then they were all so happy. Right, and, and I mean the game was. I mean, I knew what the score of the game was, and I'm reading the book, and it's it's 29-13 with a minute 13 left. And you had mentioned how Yale is putting in like their people to get their letters, and the fans were coming down and congratulating the Yale players. Uh, the some of the Yale coaches left to get cigars to celebrate. All the Harvard fans were leaving the game, and 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 then they, the thing was that Harvard's coach was a kicker. So he had practice onside kicks all the time. And the Yale coach uh, thought that you just leave your same people up there and, and don't worry about the onside kick. But, but even to get to that point, it was, the Yale totally dominated the game, and, and it was just the most miraculous comebacks you could ever imagine and, uh, to make it a tie. Yes. Well, you know, all of the players, when they see the game film, if, if, you know, in the intervening years, they can't believe that it comes out in a tie. And I've probably watched the game film maybe 15 times while I was researching this book. Even on the 15th time, I kept having to think, wait, how is this possible? How is this going to work out? Who does what? Even though I'd seen it 15 times, I still can't believe that a team could come back from that far. Now, of course, in this year's Harvard-Yale game, Yale came back from a, I think it was a 12-point, maybe 14-point deficit in a minute and 20 seconds. So they came very close, uh, and they, they forced uh, the game to go into uh, uh, double overtime. Uh, uh, when they eventually won it. Um, so they sort of got a little bit of revenge on Harvard for the famous 1968 tie game. So while well, we're talking to George Howe Colton, just one more question, George, because you've got to finish up the show. But I, um, I, I saw that from the book, I mean, Harvard had an offensive lineman, Tommy Lee Jones, who came on as one of the most famous actors in The Fugitive and Batman movies and everything. And one of the Yale players was dating Meryl Streep. So you have a lot of celebrity actors and everything involved in this. Is there any chance, like, this should be a movie? I mean, this, should, this is there any, have you talked to people about making this a movie? Well, I, uh, I, I haven't. Um, I'm, I'm open to all offers. Of course, one of the, I got the idea from a, the, uh, there's a documentary movie that was made 10 years ago, 11 years ago now, about this very game. It's a wonderful movie. It's called Harvard Beats Hill 2929 by a wonderful documentary filmmaker named Kevin Rafferty. And in it, he interviews the players and they talk about what happened in the game. And I was inspired by that film, but what I wanted to know was who the players were 
back then when they were 18, 19, 20 years old and how they dealt with 1968. So I was fascinated by the game, remembered it well, but I also wanted to place it in the context um, of this uh, watershed year in American history. Well, again, I appreciate, I would suggest anyone read the book. It's a great read. You don't have to like Harvard or Yale if you just love football and you just love a great book. Your writing style is great and your character development. I mean, I just, and then I liked, you know, like a 30 page epilogue where I wanted to find out what all these guys did that I was reading about for the whole book, what they were doing the rest of your life. So <laughs> I really appreciate the book. I love it. I suggest you can buy it on Barnes and Noble and Amazon and, and everything on it's in paperback and hardback and, and pick it up any store or, on, or online as an ebook. So George, thank you so much for coming on and uh, I really appreciate talking about the book. Well, thank you. It's really been my pleasure. I've enjoyed it.